Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast, where we attempt to equip people for kingdom release on the air. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. This is a celebration for us. Uh, and I'm like super thrilled that you guys all came uh, to join us for this celebration. And here's what I want to do as we get started. I-, I want to sort of take you on a brief tour of vineyard history. Maybe you didn't know this. This church is not new. Let me take you on a brief tour, okay? We've been here for seven and a half years. And I want to throw up uh, the first slide I've got there, the first picture. You see this? Can you see that? It's a little bit dark. This is my living room. Uh, seven and a half years ago, uh, it was a pancake breakfast that we had. We lived right across from my in-laws, and we had this giant pancake breakfast. You can go to the next slide because I think it's brighter. See my porch and my neighbors. They're amazing people. Uh, Gerald and Nicole were my neighbors. Um, those of you who know them, just make, make some noise if, if you connected with this church the first time in this stage. handful of you. Great. Love it. So we, we started in my living room, and it was a small group of people, and, and we moved from there. Go on with the next one. This, is, uh, this was the first place that we met. Where's Sarah? Is Sarah around? Throw your hand up. That's Sarah. You can't tell. She's got a mask on. Um, we met in, the, in New Life Community Church's uh, Bible study room, but then we sort of, for baptism, we moved into the sanctuary. Sarah was the first person in the life of our church to get baptized, uh, first person in the life of our church to give her life to Jesus. And if you were, if you connected with us in this stage for the first time, make some noise. Same number of people. Love it. Next, next one. Let's go to the next one. We moved into the train station. And they said you couldn't put a church in a train station. <laughs> this is a nice panoramic view. There are one, two, three, four, five, six. There are six of us in that room. There were a few people on the other side of the door wrangling kids, which was the loudest thing in the world. Um, we, tr- we were trying to worship Jesus, you know, reverently, and the kids made a lot of noise. But this was the next place that we moved. How many of you know where the train station is? Show of hands. You guys know? You guys know where it's at? How many of you connected when we were in the train station? More people. I'll give you a couple, of, a little bit of a tour because we were real proud of this space. We were, go to the next one. We had this nice painting uh, day. You see how narrow that is? It's 16 feet wide. It's 16 feet wide. Go to the next slide. This is our preview services. This was uh, before we had a grand opening. Uh, there are maybe 12 people here, 13 people here, no art on the walls. This was early on. Go to the next one. This was the grand opening. So we've done this grand opening thing before. (laughs) We just do it every few years, you know. It's a ploy. And there were, I think there were six, I don't remember how many, 65 people, I think, in that room. And if you've ever been in that room, you realize that 65 people shouldn't fit in that room. Some of your faces I see. Go to the next slide. 
After a little while, we realized that it didn't work to be in that small of a space, and so there used to be a wall there, the one that had the door in it. We knocked it down, turned everything longwise. Uh, 16 feet wide meant three chairs on this side, two or three on this side. It's a little bit like being on a regional airliner, right? <laughs> That's what it feels like, right? Either that or a roller coaster. That's what the hands in the back are. <laughs> Go to the next slide. We moved out of the train station. We fit 80 plus people in the train station, and that was too many people. How many of you sat on the floor in the train station? Anybody was sitting on the floor? A handful of you were sitting on the floor in the train station. So we moved to Wright Elementary School. Uh, how many of you like those chairs? Isn't that, what is that, like the 60s, 70s era? And they made lots and lots of noise. We had an extra band member. It was just the, the chairs. So we, we moved into that space, and then COVID happened, moved to the next one, and we ended up in the basement of the Salvation Army. How many of you connected with us in the basement of the Salvation Army? Nice, nice. Less of you. That's disconcerting. And we, we actually baptized people at the beginning of this year in the basement of the Salvation Army in a horse trough. We kept it really, really classy. And through God's provision, we've ended up here. You guys are here on a day that we celebrate the next chapter in the life of this church. And it's a big day for us. It's so important for us. But what I want to sort of, before we get away from the pictures, I want to highlight is one of the common threads of all of those pictures is the people. See, here's the thing, you know, a lot of us think about church and we think about, well, church is a, a place you go, you go to church. And yet when God called us to plant Vineyard Altoona, we knew that God's desire were, was for this to be not just a place you go to church, but that this was a community you belonged to. This was a, a family you could be a part of. Got weird people like me in the family. Got beautiful people like my wife in the family. And then you, all of you guys just look amazing. So, but, but this is a community you belong to. And so what we're going to do on this, our, our grand opening in this new place, is we're going to start a three-week series. How many of you got the invite card? Man, that was a great investment. <laughs> Evan, you, you were handing them out. Did you, anybody get, just get one of these and you were like, hey, I'm going to go to church because I got an invite card? Okay, a couple of you, a couple, thank you. Make me feel better. I, I see you. I feel a lot better. Um, but inside that card, we, we made three phrases and we're going to begin a series called Welcome to the Vineyard. And what we're going to do is we're going to preach through the three uh, phrases. This week, I'm going to preach a message called A Place to Belong. Next week, Jerry will preach a purpose for your life, and then on October 10th, I'll conclude with hope for your future. So here's what I want to do. Before we look at Scripture, would you pray with me? We're just going to invite God to speak through His Word before we open the Bible. So Holy Spirit, we do invite you to come. And Lord, you've already been active in this place this morning, and so we're grateful for your presence. God, I pray that you would continue to speak, Lord, that you would fill me as I preach. Lord, that your words would come out of my mouth. God, I pray that you would connect to hearts today. I pray, Lord, that you would fill people today with your presence. I pray people would have uh, an experience of you and your nearness. 
Lord, put power on this message, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 14. If you, have a, if you don't have a Bible, there's a whole bunch of them up here. Nobody will shame you if you want to come and grab one. Probably. Luke chapter 14. And while you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of context of what's happening. At the outset of Luke 14, uh, Jesus, he shows up to this party. How many of you think of Jesus as a party guy? A couple of you? Hopefully you'll see what kind of a party guy Jesus is. Uh, Jesus shows up to this party with this prominent Pharisee. And at at the outset, this becomes a very confrontational party. Anybody ever been to a confrontational party? You guys are going to have to make some noise. I might fall asleep if you don't make some... Come on. Anybody ever been to a confrontational party? Maybe it's just your family. Maybe your family's a confrontational party. That was close, wasn't it? I'm never going back to that vineyard church. He's weird. He knows my family. Uh, So... (laughs) So Jesus shows up to this party, and the Pharisees have sort of set him up. They're trying to trap Jesus, and so they bring this guy who's, uh, who, who's got an illness, and of course, you know, Jesus just going around healing people all over the place, and so he sees this guy right at the outset. He knows what's happening, and so he asks the Pharisees at the very beginning, he says, is it legal for me to heal this guy on the Sabbath? And of course, nobody answers because they're trying to trap him, and so he heals the guy, and then he says, you guys would have done the same thing, Right? And so it starts out there, and it gets a little bit, uh, a little bit tighter. It gets a little bit more confrontational. We're going to begin at verse 7. And here's what we read, beginning in verse 7. It says, When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not play, take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, he will t- have you, have, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Let me pause right here for just a second. This is probably not the best way to show up to a party. He shows up to a party, and the first thing he does is confront the guests about how they pick their seats. This is probably a guaranteed way not to get invited back. Those of you who are teaching your kids how to go to a party, you probably don't teach this, right? But Jesus shows up, and and he's watching what's happening, and all of these guys are kind of arguing over who gets the best seat. They're kind of like one-upping each other. They're trying to say, see, I'm better than this person. I'm better than that person. And, and so I deserve a better seat. And so he's watching this play out. How many of you have been to a 10-year high school reunion? Have you been there? So a few years ago, more than a few years ago, I went to my 10-year high school reunion. And, and I showed up, and I remembered immediately why I didn't like high school. If you go to a 10-year high school reunion what happens is everybody's trying to prove that they've made it, right? Some of you have been to this. Some of you are those people. We, 
when you show up to a 10-year high school reunion, you want everybody to know that you've made it and look at these deals you've got. And you, so you put like the best foot forward and you're trying to prove. And I feel like I got mowed down at my 10-year reunion. I was like, all I did was lost a little weight. And that was it. And all these other people are like, I made it in the firm. I'm a partner. I'm this and I'm that. You know, and maybe it's, you know, these situations, right, where people are constantly trying to one-up each other, right? Maybe, you know, maybe it's not always at a party. For some of you, it's your home life, right? Some of you are sitting around and nobody can have an experience that somebody else in your family doesn't have to one-up, right? You know that experience. It's like, wow, I had this amazing time. Well, it's not as amazing as the time I had, right? My life, my day was terrible. Well, let me tell you about the day I had, Right? Is this your family, some of you? Or, or maybe that's what your work life is like. Maybe, you know, the one person at work always has to have a better story or more experience, right? They have more knowledge than you, and if you don't know who that is at your workplace, it might be you. <laughs> you might be the one. You should maybe press into that a little bit. But this is a picture of what's happening, right? Jesus is at this party and he's seeing these guys and they're all arguing over who is the best, who is the greatest, who has the most significant uh, status. And what Jesus does is he confronts the guests and he confronts their pride. But his teaching here is pretty profound. And I'm going to take just a second and unpack it just for a little bit because I think it'll be beneficial to you. Jesus says when you're invited to a dinner party, don't take the seat of honor, but instead intentionally take the lowest place. Essentially, he's saying, you know, that honor is given by the people around you, that people will give you honor or they'll take it away based on it's the people around you. Now, let's think about this for just a second. If you take the seat you deserve, if you sort of trumpet your abilities and, and all the things, how you had the best experience or your day was worse than everybody else's, the best case scenario is you will be right and nobody will say anything. The worst case scenario is somebody will humiliate you, right? Like in this case, he says, somebody will, will take you from your seat and say, oh, you're sitting in a seat that's not where you're supposed to be. So you need to move now. It would be as if I told Pete, Pete, you're sitting in the wrong seat. Don't stand up. Your knee replacement maybe can't handle it. You need to move back because I have invited people who are of higher status. And how embarrassing would that be, right? So this is the worst case scenario. But what Jesus says is, if, uh, if you intentionally take the lowest place, again, worst case scenario, nobody says anything. And you have valued yourself appropriately. You are the lowest of the low, and you did it correctly. But the best case scenario is if I had said, hey, Josh, I know you're sitting way back there. Can you see me? I can see you. You should sit up here because you're higher valued. And everybody would watch Josh walk forward. And we would go, man, Josh must be somebody. And so Jesus says, you ought to take the lowest place instead of the highest place because if you imagine it, if you honor yourself, there's no place to go but down. But if you lower yourself, if you intentionally humble yourself, you may be publicly honored. You guys track with that? Are we all on the same page? Cool? But here's the problem. How many of you like devaluing yourself? 
How many of you like humiliating yourself? Like three of you, okay. We can have a, we'll have prayer later <laughs> for you. Here's the problem. It will constantly kill your ego to do this. Constantly. And some of you go, well, that's what's supposed to happen. This is church. You're supposed to kill your ego. That's what it is, right? No, here's the deal. If you believe you have a higher value than you are allowing for, it will kill your soul if people don't know that, right? If you try to do this, it will kill your soul if people don't know. Think about the last time you heard somebody telling a story about something and you knew you had a better story, right? And you were like, but I know I'm supposed to take the lowest place, so I'm not going to share my story, but everything in you wants to get it out, <sighs> right? Or, or, or think about the situation. Have you ever been in a situation where, where everybody else is talking about their expertise and you know they're just wrong because clearly you know the right way to do your job. Clearly you know the best way. How hard was it for you not to show them up? Listen, there's only two ways that I know of that you can take the lowest place. The first way is you actually believe that you are the lowest of the low. That's the first way. The second way that you can always take the lowest place is if you don't have any stake in the game about what people think about you. If it really doesn't matter if people think you're highly valued or not, then you can take the lowest place because it really doesn't make a difference. But here's the beautiful thing about following Jesus. It puts those two things together. Because the reality is when you come to Jesus, what you're saying is, I give. I have made a mess of my life. All I contribute to the situation, yeah, I do a couple of good things here or there, but it's always contaminated with sort of my own selfish uh, motivations. I make a mess is all I do. And so I hand over to Jesus my mess. And I say, this is the best I can do. And Jesus says, I'm glad you've acknowledged that. Let me begin to take that and to develop you into the person I've created you to be. And so after surrendering your life to Jesus, what your life begins to look like is something that would be honored, but you don't care anymore. Do you see that? If you give your life to Jesus, now your only desire is to follow Jesus with everything that you are. And so you're, the only people that you care about, your valuation before, is Jesus. That's it. You know what this frees you to do? It frees you to take the loss. You know, you've been in those situations where somebody wants to bowl you over, right? They want to show you how valuable they are, how smart they are, and how uh, important they are. And when you know that you've surrendered to Jesus, you're free to just say, you win. Because I don't have any stake in this game. This is important. As a follower of Jesus, when your life begins to bring about significant things, you know you don't deserve them. Everything you have is a gift from the Lord. So the only valuation that, of your life that matters is the one God gives. It's the only approval you seek. And so in this way, you actually become the humble person that you were putting on before. It's not actually, it becomes easier to be a humble person. Let me press on. Uh, Jesus says this in, in verse 11. He says, For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The other way to say this is, everyone gets humbled either by choice or by force. 
Every last one of us is going to get humbled. We either choose that we're going to do it or we're forced into it. Okay, verse, verse 12. So Jesus confronts these guests and then he turns uh, his attention to the host. Look at verse 12. It says, then Jesus said to his host, so he's already making friends, how to win friends and influence people. When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. What you need to understand here is Jesus is not saying, don't eat with your friends, neighbors, and relatives. What Jesus is actually addressing here is this idea that I'll have you over to dinner so that you'll give to my foundation. I'll have you over for, for a, a, nice, a nice meal so that you now owe me one. He's, he's addressing relationships that are really just built around getting things. Okay, does that make sense? So what he's saying here is that your relationships ought to be built around giving of yourself. That it's not about getting, it's not about get what you get, it's about what you give. And so that's why he says, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. These are people that can't pay you back. What is your life built around? What are your relationships built around? Do you have relationships where you are just giving of yourself? Verse 15. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. So this guy hears Jesus saying, well, you know, you'll be blessed if you invite these ceremonially unclean people who can't pay you back. You'll be blessed. And you have to hear his response in the way that it's intended. It's a sharp comment. It's blessed? Really? Blessed? Blessed is the one who will eat in the kingdom of God. That's who's blessed. It's as if he's saying, you know, you know, you want to invite these nobodies? No way. The one who's blessed is the one who gets to eat in the feast of the kingdom of God. And Jesus responds like this. He says, you want to go there? That's how I envision it, right? It's sort of like a little bit of like a rap battle, right? You want to go? <laughs> blessed, right? That's my best rapper right there. So that's, that's acting for me, right? Thanks. Whew. I'll take my award now. But Jesus responds. He says, you want to go there? We'll go there. Look at verse 16. Here's what he says. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. Now, it's fairly evident to the Pharisees at the table who he's talking about. It's not a secret. The man preparing the banquet is God. The banquet is the feast in the kingdom of God. This is the thing he just said. Well, that's where we'll be blessed. And the invited guests are the Pharisees. But when it comes to actually go to the banquet, one by one, the invited guests say, well, you know, we can't go. I, I got, you know, make excuses as to why they come. And I don't know if you noticed this, but did you notice how terrible these excuses are? Like, we could come up with better ones than this, right? 
Who buys a field they haven't seen, honestly? I mean, I know you all are buying cars on Carvana now that you haven't seen, but who buys a field? Who, who buys a five yoke of oxen that they haven't tried out? Nobody. Or, hey, you know, I just got married, so I can't come to your party. I mean, that's a pretty terrible excuse, right? All these are pretty bad excuses, and, and yet <laughs> the point Jesus is making is this. In your pride, you don't see the value of the kingdom that is offered. You don't see the value. You're busy battling over who gets which seat with the most honor and creating dinners for people so they'll owe you, and you miss what God is doing. You can see the arrogance, right? See the arrogance that Jesus is pointing out? These people are weighing an invitation to the feast in the kingdom of God against trying out livestock. As if there's a choice. Do you see that? That this is, this is like how ridiculous this sounds. As if they have equivalent value or as if they can just waltz into the party whenever they want. And all through this dinner that Jesus is at, he's confronting the same thing. The reason we started where we did is because I need you to see that Jesus is confronting pride. Over and over and over, Jesus is confronting pride. It's a thing Jesus hates. Some of you can finish this verse. God opposes the... It's a thing that God hates. And so the whole party, Jesus is, is pressing against this. And let me just point out, this is something we're all in danger of. Every last one of us are in danger of becoming prideful. Especially if we've been in the church for a long time. Have you ever seen that? We've been in the church for a really long time, right? And here's how this works. Here's how it works. We come in humbly, right? And we know that we've got to surrender to Jesus. So we come in and we surrender to Jesus. And He forgives us. And then he begins to work new life in us, right? He begins to, you begin to start seeing things. Have you ever seen something God has done in your life? The other day we were riding home from Oil City and I just was like stunned by something God has done in my life over the past five years. I was just like, this is amazing. But you start seeing these things. How many times have you seen something? You're like, I used to lose it on those people and now I have patience, right? I have a little bit of self-control that I didn't used to have. Wow, and you begin to see, but here's the problem, here's where, we're, where we uh, are at risk of pride, is instead of remembering that all of these things are gifts from God, we begin to start taking credit for them. We don't recognize that I couldn't make myself a more humble person, God did it. But we start to take credit, right? You know, it's like, I'm just really good at leadership, I read all the leadership books, and so I'm just really good. No, leadership is something God has developed, right? I'm just a great preacher. No, this is a gift of God, right? I just have great kids. My spouse is amazing, right? I just have great taste. I mean, I, have you met my wife? Right? Like, we start to take credit for it. My kids are amazing. I must be a great parent. My spouse is amazing. I just must be the perfect, I'm the perfect husband. And we begin to take credit for things that God gave us as gifts. And it starts small, right? It creeps in just a little bit at a time. 
And over a period of time, we begin to take credit for all the things that God does in our lives. And then we think, you know, I'm a pretty swell guy. Nobody says swell anymore. I'm a pretty swell guy. And what we don't realize is that by taking credit for what God intended as gift, we begin to judge everybody else that doesn't have it. Right? How come they can't get it together? Good thing I'm not like them. They blew up their lives. See that? See that affair they had? Yeah, I'd never do something like that. I'm a swell guy. See the way that they've, they've fallen into drug addiction? That would never be me. We never acknowledge the fact that these things are gifts. I pay a lot of attention when somebody says, hey, you need to watch out for this. Because guess what? Unless God gifts me with the ability not to, I'm certain to fall into whatever hole is coming in front of me. Are you hearing me? You hear this? We're all at risk of being prideful people. And before long, we're one-upping everybody, right? Let me sit at the seat of the head of the table. But here's the deal. In the kingdom of God, we are never owners. In the kingdom of God, you and I are never owners. We're always outsiders that were welcomed in by the grace of God. It's always the grace of God. That's the way we get in. And all we are whenever we're talking to other people about the grace that Jesus gives us, we're just one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. That's it. We're not the gatekeepers. We don't belong there. Friends, there's some of us that have been deeply wounded by the church. Some of you sitting here today, you thought, today, I'll try. I'll try one more time. But I don't know if I can get over the wounds. And I want to say two things to you if you were wounded. First of all, thank you. Thank you for trying. And secondly, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that those of us who follow Jesus sometimes become prideful people. And I'd like to invite you to continue a relationship with Jesus, that you would continue to pursue Jesus. So Jesus continues in verse 21, and this is where I want to land. The servant came back and reported this to his master, all the excuses everybody was making. He says, they're not coming. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. If they didn't know that he was talking about them before, the fact that he just outlined the same group of people, they know now. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. When the proud won't come to the banquet, Jesus says, well, go to the ones that don't belong. 
They'll come. He sends out a servant to invite the ones that don't belong. Many of us here feel like that, right? We feel like, man, I'm not sure I belong. None of them, and the, the significant thing about that list of people is that none of them would have believed they belonged. None of them would believe that they, were, that they should fit in, right? There's none of them, no pretense whatsoever. The poor have nothing to, to repay. They have nothing to give back. The rest of that crew, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, are ceremonially, un, ceremonially unclean. They don't belong in the kingdom, and yet they come because they're humble. So when Jesus says they're welcome, it puts an exclamation point on what he's been saying the whole time. You see, the dividing line in the kingdom is not what we make it. This is where I'll finish this. The dividing line in the kingdom is not where we make it. It's not between rich and poor, righteous or unrighteous, you know, good-looking or ugly, fit, unfit. The dividing line in the kingdom is not between smart and ignorant. The dividing line in the kingdom is not between good and bad. What Jesus says is the dividing line in the kingdom is between proud and humble. Those who are humble are welcomed in. Those who are proud, he says, those who are invited will, uh, no one of those who invited will get a taste of my banquet. From wherever you are right now, Jesus is knocking on the door and he wants relationship with you. And all he's asking is, are you humble enough to acknowledge that you need to be saved? There's no salvation for those who don't believe they need it. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.